When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, um, we have a very special episode. We have Michelle Cordero Grant. She is the founder of Lively. Some of you might be wearing her bras right now because I know I am. (laughs) And definitely bought them during the pandemic, so I wouldn't have all that underwire. And she is a serial entrepreneur, She has many things coming down the pipeline as well, and including a podcast. And I'm going to let her talk a little bit more about that. But first, I want to A, say hi, welcome. Thank you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And get a little bit into your journey as a female founder and lively and how that, where that all started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... um... I'll just start by saying like entrepreneurship was not a word in my life. I did not ever think I would be starting a company from scratch, let alone running a company. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, daughter of two Indian immigrant parents and saw very stable lifestyles, one job, one life, all's well. Um, But once I got to New York and I uh, fell in love with the fashion industry and things that were super tangible, having had a finance background, (laughs) I felt like I arrived. Like brands, which I look back at my life, were always my way of connecting with people, being someone that was Indian in a place where no one else was Indian. Brands were my way of uh, assimilating. And so when I got to New York, I started to realize the power of brand and brand equity. And so that's kind of how my journey started. I worked for big retailers like Federated, which owned uh, and still own today, Macy's at Bloomingdale's. I worked for VF Corporation, which owned Nautica and Kipling, um, brands that I were working was working on then, and then was at Victoria's Secret for almost five years. And I started to see the opportunity for women to create brands, mm-hmm. um, not just operate them, but own them. Yeah. I mean, because think about it, like, the people who are making our bras like had never worn one, you know, it's the same with shoes, by the way. Yes. Who are making these four inch heels don't have to wear them because if they did, they would never make them. Correct. Correct. And, and by creating a brand, you have the power of messaging and human impact. Right. And so the, the owners of those brands said bras are about being provocative and sexy for men. 
fact. Um, And they should push your boobs up as far as possible and maybe be even like double the boob size uh, that you were born with and all these like things that make sense in in moments, but maybe not eight hours a day. Exactly. Or (laughs) definitely not 20 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or while working out, by the way. Mm -hmm. How about that? (laughs) Exactly. So but so you had a finance background, and I think you told me that you went to law school for two weeks too. I did, I did. So part of my, you know, being a really good daughter, I assumed my parents did not want me to do fashion. But I said, look, I'm going to do this for two years in New York, and at the same time, I'll study for my LSATs, and and then I'll go to law school. And and I did that. I, I had a job in New York for two years. I took the LSATs. I got into law school. I had a goodbye party. And after two weeks, I called my dad and I was like, I'm not loving it here. Like, I want to go back to New York. And I convinced my boss uh, in New York. I was like, if you give me a promotion, I feel like this is going to go really well. And she was like, you know, Michelle, come back immediately. And so I did. Amazing. (laughs) So embarrassing, but awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. See, that is some serious strategy right there that, you know like entrepreneurship. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's like the art of negotiation. Okay. So then you went into fashion and then what was your like aha moment to be like, I can do this and I want to start this because I think that is where a lot of women like, go, you know what? I don't, uh, I want to do this, but they keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. I mean, there were 10 different ideas that somebody else took of mine and it's just like, you know, yeah. I mean, there was breadcrumbs in my life. So my first job at Federated, I was sitting at the at a desk for the first time for 12 hours a day. And I was like, guys, we got to move our bodies. I tried to create like the under the desk stair stepper and treadmill. <laughs> it was done. Um, then I decided, I was like, guys, it is so, uh, there's so much scam and things happening with people scanning your license and your credit cards. We need to put foil on the inside of all of our purses. Let's create this fabric called foiled. That was done too. Then like, I was like, okay, I'm just going to hang out in corporate America. But I started the aha was for me was when I got married. I was at my wedding and my bosses from Victoria's Secret came and I admired them and I loved them so much. And after my wedding, I looked at them and I was like, oh my God, I love my job so much. I'm never going to give the time towards my marriage and my family that I want to give because this job is so demanding. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, it's like, 200% times demanding. And so I knew like then I needed to, to shake it up. I did not know I was going to start a company. Like I don't think for women often, like as risk adverse humans, we just like jolt, but I realized I needed to go to the startup space and see what was happening. So I joke and I say I crossed 14th street <laughs> and I went and I worked for a startup for three years and I started to build confidence around the fact that no one knew what the hell they were doing. Yeah. One, you just have an idea, you see it as reality and you start building. And so that's what I saw happening. I finally found a supplier uh, in the bra industry who wanted to take a chance on me. And when I saw that he believed in me, I believed in myself. I wish it was the other way around. It wasn't. Wait, say that again. What? Somebody (laughs) saw. Yeah. So there uh, was a gentleman who was my first investor, Yossi Nasser. Okay. He, um, was the owner of a lingerie manufacturing company, the largest manufacturer of intimates for Walmart. He saw what was happening with Harry's Warby Parker Casper at the time. 
<clears throat> and said, I want to create a direct-to-consumer brand. Tried and realized creating a brand is hard. Same time, I'm looking. I'm yeah. like, all right, I want to create a company. And the world's brought us together. And he was Amazing. like, he's like, I'll invest in you. You create the brand. And I was like, great, you be my supply chain. And that's what we did. My 35th birthday, I walked out of Chase Bank with a million five in a bank account and employee number one, me. <laughs> wow. And what was the vision for it then? What was that product fit that you needed? I would say that I just saw that things needed to be different. Mm -hmm. And when I left Victoria's Secret, there was no maternity, there was no size inclusivity, but more importantly, it just wasn't a bra that I wanted to wear all day. Yeah. And statistically, I read a stat that 60% of the time women were wearing sports bras, they weren't working out. And that was like the aha, like, right. I love sports bras and I love swimwear. Why can't traditional bras have those qualities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. And so Lively was born. What year was that? That was August 3rd, 2015. <laughs> okay. So it's only been seven years. Yeah. You know? It's really fast. Yeah. And tell me about like doing that because, you know, your background was in fact, what were you doing in fashion? What was your like actual role? Merchandising, buying product right. development. Yeah. Peripheral right. to the designers, like right next to them. And so when you started, like, obviously there's many more roles that you have to do as a founder. And then, so how did you backfill those? How did you figure out what to do? Because this guy's just an investor, right? He's not at all a part of the company. Yeah, yeah. You know, I often tell people day one, I sat at my desk and was like, okay, we're going to start a company. I had no idea where to start. And so I made a list of all the things I didn't know how to do. And I started to find the smartest people in those areas. And I would like tap them through my network on LinkedIn, show up and be like coffee, juice, anything. And again, it's all about building confidence. It's knowing that you know who to call. You don't have to have the answers. You just need to know who to call. And then I just kept going. I mean, honestly, it's all about one foot in front of the other. You're not supposed to know what to do. Exactly. You're supposed to right? figure it out. Right. Yeah. The game is, do you see the world as puzzles? Awesome. Do you see the world as problems? Not an entrepreneur. Yeah. If you like to figure stuff out, this is for you. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's how I started. I just started asking people a million questions, started to be like, right, this is step two. Cool. Like Lively didn't even have a name. Like we just started, I was like, oh, I need a designer. I should probably find one of those. Let's start, let's start meeting people. And I right. found Sarah, my creative director, because she was friends with my friend in Brooklyn and happened to be a designer. Right. <laughs> like there's no playbook people. You just surround yourself with people that believe. Yeah. Right. And are willing to put the, in the work and the effort, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. People that are willing to wear 15 hats like you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So then um, if I'm doing the math correctly, based on the ages of your kids, you had a young kid at the time. Yeah. So my daughter, Lydia, <clears throat> She was born in January of 2014, so a year and a half, yeah. you know, when I, when I quit my job again. And 
honestly, like she's the reason I became an entrepreneur. I didn't know if I wanted to have kids. Frankly, I was terrified of having children. But when I saw that I could create a human being, one, and that human could live off my body for months, I was like, shit, like I can do a lot more. (laughs) So true. I love that. No, it's a great analogy. You know, even if you don't have kids knowing that, you know, the body you were born in, it's like, that's, it's, it's like, there's certain capabilities. Even if you can't have kids with that body, that body was still, you know, is amazing and special and like in so many different ways. And the fact that you can then overcome that and go and think about it in that kind of parallel and be like, I can do anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then my son, Jack, um, two months after I launched Lively, I found out I was pregnant, not tired. (laughs) My son's named Jack too. Yeah. Hmm, Good one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I love pointing these things out because so many women are like, I don't know. I want to have kids. There's like, there's no perfect time. Like there's just no perfect time. You, we balance so many and juggle so many things at the same time that it's never going to be some kind of like, Oh, this is okay. Now this is the time I'm going to start this company because you just got to do it. And in many ways, although entrepreneurship is crazy and all consuming, it also allows you a lot more flexibility with your family than somebody who says you have to be there at eight 30 in the morning and stay until seven 30 at night. That's right. You can get out of that nine to seven, whatever, thing and create your own rules. And sometimes your rules are going to be even harder than, you know, the company you came from, but you can reset them at any time. And that's yeah. And you only have you to blame for that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's 2015. The company has launched. You are like, okay, I think I have an idea. I don't even have a designer. You didn't even have a prototype at this point. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a very unique situation. And then you had $1.5 million without this, you know, but it's still a great, like all these learning lessons about it because it doesn't last forever. 1.5 million, you know, no. And you have to start making money pretty quickly. And there's still, there's eyes on you on all of those things. So what did you do? Like when, like how long before you like launch the product, et cetera? Yeah. So, so two things to note of that 1.5, I use less than a third of it to launch the company. I was very mindful of the fact that this is a gift and you don't necessarily know that more money's coming later. So you need to stretch every single dollar. And so the next thing that I did was I started to build a community first. I said, this is not going to be a brand that New York City decides and then markets. This is going to be a brand where women come together and help me make the decisions. And so we would have Airbnb focus groups, wine, cheese, building brand X, come join us. And like women would come. They would help us choose the imagery, the words, the marketing. We had over a hundred women that we met on Instagram, pre-Instagram stories that were not influencers and not celebrities, but women that had like really cool feeds and content and something to say, maybe only 500 followers, but that's fine. And so we took all of that while making product, while building a factory in Asia, and we launched on April 1st. And I like to say we didn't launch on April 1st. We actually launched in January. That's when our Instagram went up. February, we started to build (laughs) our- That's when you're legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. We started to have events before we sold a product. And by March, we had over 130,000 emails in our file. Wow. So hustle. Yeah. <laughs> but how, so how are you going out to these people? How are you getting that? Like, were yeah. you buying Facebook ads or are you buying any of that stuff? You're just. Nope. 
No, yeah. no. So what do we do is I tell people this all the time and this, this little like bridge into my next chapter, but it's all about human connection. Brands are about humans loving a brand experience and telling another human how great that experience was. Before Facebook, before Instagram, brands were built just from humans telling humans. And yeah. then, right? Like that was it. Yeah. I mean, there's billboards and there's commercials, but it's really about like time and care around creating an experience that people love. And so that was the thesis is like, if we could get women to feel something and then tell everyone, it's movement. And it starts with five, moves to 10, moves to 50, 100. And all of a sudden, three years in, we had 150,000 brand ambassadors. Mm -hmm. You just have to start somewhere. It's like a snowball. It's the tiniest little snowball and you keep pushing it and it gets bigger and bigger. And so tactically, what we did was we started on Instagram. We moved them into actual events, like spent the time hustling and putting events together that cost nothing. Like join us for a happy hour. We got free wine from Ramona and Wolfer. (laughs) Let's chat. Or hey, SoulCycle. Like I think a lot of people that work in your office will like lively. Can we come? I got free Wolfer (laughs) wine. Yes. So little things to then take that information and push it back out. Right, right, right. And still no product or anything for anybody to touch. No, not even a price, not even an image of the bra, nothing. Right. Nothing. Just right. And so when people would see like, what are you? What would you say? We'd say we're a brand inspired by wild hearts and boss brains. And our idea was like, if women could understand that their vulnerability is actually power and passion, put that with business and right. Something pretty awesome can happen. Right. So you have, would you say 130,000 emails before it even launched? And then, so it launches and then what happens? And then it's launch day. We all have like our cute outfits on and we initially have, we immediately have to take them off and put sneakers on and run to the warehouse because we have more orders than the B2B operation that I made B2C could handle. (laughs) And we were sold out in two weeks We ship to every state in 45 days with no paid media, just PR and, and hustle. Wow. That's a great story. Brand, 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 and like community and what you're going to do for it. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So then that's this journey. And then at this point, like, when are you hiring like real people and like, you know, yeah. So in an executive office and stuff. (laughs) So in April of 16, there was probably, four of us when we launched, uh, including myself, and then maybe an intern or two. At that point, you know, after the credit cards start chinging, the investors start calling. And so that summer, you know, I was pregnant with my son and raising our official round of capital. And so with that, um, you know, I had VCs flying in, I pitched one of my investors in the basement of his of his beach house. <laughs> we shook on a deal in, in Starbucks. Um, but the point is, is I made sure to surround myself with the right people. I didn't say yes to a lot of people. And I didn't say yes to a lot of money, which I could have. I said yes to the people that made me comfortable um, and that I could trust. Um, and frankly, I never even had a C-suite You know, when I sold the company. I just kept hiring people that believed Um, and I had my VP of finance, um, and operations, who's now chief operating officer and on the board of lively. But when we sold, it was me, a VP and and the rest of the lively team. 
And so when did you sell? Talk about that because not many women get to have that experience, which is exciting, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I quit my job August 3rd of 2015. We sold the company August 1st of 2019. Oh, wow. Four years. That is a very short period of time and turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, less than four years after selling a product, basically three years um, after we launched and I wasn't ready to sell, but, you know, a strategic came to me with an offer that was really strong and frankly, um, I just wanted Lively to be able to live on after me. Right. You know, I have two kids and a husband and not only was it good for my family, but it was going to be good for the brand too. And how do you feel like when you do that? Like, do you feel like, was there a time where like, I really need to get somebody else in here to make it grow? Did you ever doubt yourself like that or... I mean, you doubt yourself like twice a week. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> all day long, day. really. But I'm saying yeah. you know, when it's like starting to grow, like I always get so curious about like, you know, starting a company and building it to a certain thing. But then how is it then like you can still run that company having thousands of employees? You know what I mean? Like who does that? Who scales somebody up so quickly yeah. that it's, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, by the time we sold Lively, we had... uh you know, built obviously a phenomenal e-com business, but we had two stores at the time. Now we have four about to open our fifth. Um, but, you know, what I saw is I always held my levers, right? Because I came from big companies that struggled to comp, not struggled, but like if you were doing well, you got like an eight to 10% comp, right? Like you weren't doing startup comps of 300%. Yeah. And so in my mind, I'm like, it's only going to get harder. The bigger the company gets, the harder it is to grow. And so hold on to international, Michelle, hold on to all these distribution channels. You're going to need them later. And so when I got the offer in my mind, I was like, oh my God, Lively will be able to launch in Target now. Like we don't have the infrastructure to do that. Yeah, We could barely do Nordstrom and open a store. And so for me, it's like, oh my God, I'll be able to breathe. And more importantly, when you're a CEO and you hire people, you work for your team because your job is to make sure they have a job. And yeah. so for me, it's like, I don't have to look at cash every Friday now and make sure that we have enough runway to keep all these people. Like we got a big sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you stayed on through this whole transition, right? And then now you're launching something else though, right? Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we sold Lively in 19. I stayed on for three years um, post. And, and that was just purely out of, I wanted to be there. It wasn't one of those things where I was tied. It was that, you know, I wasn't ready to leave. And for the first time, I needed Lively more than Lively needed me, frankly. Um, I didn't know what was going to be next for Yeah. Me. And I think what I realized over those three years is, I love to build. I love to create. And in my mind, the things that don't exist, but do for me is where I light up. Right. And so if I can create something that is a tweak on a giant market that is dominated by men and now come into the space and show women yeah. that we can have a place here and create jobs for those women as well. Like I live for that. Yeah. Um, and so I see that in wellness. I see that in web three. Um, and so this time I'm not just launching one, I'm launching a few. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, why is one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in two years, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you do a lot of the same actions, but I think like where I get really excited is spaces that are very large and dusty, right? Yeah. Like draws was a space that was $13 billion in the United States dominated by when, when by men, women didn't like it. And it was for women. Like we can fix that. Yeah. And so like, what are those other spaces? Like that's where, that's where Michelle comes in. <laughs> yeah. I love that. No, it's so true. Yeah. It's like, you know, when like, Lola and stuff were coming with tampons, like, why did we let them like make tampons for us? What? Gross. <laughs> Also, Lola's tampons are so much better. I know, I know. It's so August. You know, you think about like Lola, August, Rayel. Like, who even buys tampax anymore? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So all of these things solving problems for ourselves, which you know, a lot of us didn't really realize that they were problems because we were like, okay, this is just how they are. You know, right? It's like, but they're problems, and they're not like they're not inventions. They're just tweaks to make them for women, exactly. right? Like exactly. lively bras. Like it drove me crazy that to adjust your bra strap, the adjuster was in the back. Yeah. But like, so you would just sit there all day with this strap falling because you can't, you don't have time to go to the bathroom, take your bra off, adjust it. Exactly. The adjuster should be in the front. <laughs> exactly. Makes sense. Um, yeah. There's so many different things. Um, what, so you know, obviously you went through one, you know, your first thing with entrepreneurship and then so what are the things that you did wrong in the first round that you're like, I will never do that again. So people listening here can really learn. Yeah. Number one is I started building the lively team as a family, not a sports team. And there's a big difference, right? Because as women, we're very nurturing and loving and caring. And with that, like you don't fire your family members, <laughs> right? But a sports team still loves each other, respects each other, works hard together. You got to get the ball down the field though. And so you realize when it's time to bench someone, you realize when it's time to change positions, you are the coach and you got to get the ball down the field. Yeah. Amazing. That's a really great reference. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also, yeah. you know, it's it's such a like one of the reasons why I like started the justice. I mean, not only justice department, but what started this podcast is because all of these terms, right, are so male oriented. And I was like on a call and I'm super experienced, been around forever. And this private equity company asked me to be on a call because they were thinking about investing in a publishing company. And the guy kept talking about dry powder. And I was like, what the fuck is dry powder? And so thankfully it was like a Zoom. It was even before COVID, by the way, but it was a it was in Nashville and there were no tickets because all the stuff was going on. So we were all on the call. And so I could look up dry powder and I was like, wait, extra money. Like, why the fuck do you have to call it dry powder? And, you know, and my, my job between Jay-Z and Rock Nation and Superfly and, and Justice Department, I work at Superfly and they use all these sports references, like skate to the puck. And I was like, what does that mean? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. It, it means go get it. Like don't oh. wait for it to come to you. But, you know, building it like a sports team, it makes sense. You know, it's like you building it like, you know, the team that like you would put together in any yes. kind of situation to get it like. Yes. Um, so I like that sports reference. So that would be number one is like, I was afraid to fire people. And <clears throat> I would say that the first, you know, couple people that I had to let go in the end came back and thanked me, you know, whether it took a year and a half or six months, they were like, you were right. Like 
I am happier doing something else. Cause that mm-hmm. was like your best people love what they're doing and love what they stand for. I would say the second thing is like, I suck at negotiating for myself. So good at negotiating for the company. Anytime someone's like, so what do you want to make? Or what do you want? Oh, you know, whatever you think is fair. No, like say what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Still suck at it. But I constantly like call people. I'm like, all right, help me. Like I need to negotiate, help me decide what I want. So I can just say it, write it down, say it to yourself a bunch of times in a year, ask for it. I would say the other thing is do think about hiring for the future. Uh, You know, I didn't have a C-suite when I sold the company. I should have, I should have, you know, at that point. And um, I think as, as founders, as entrepreneurs, we want, to do it all. The greatest advice I actually got was from Tony Robbins. He once said to me, Michelle, you're not owning your company, you're operating it. And he's like, and you need to own it. And when you're owning it, you've delegated, you've let other people like sink or swim, but now you can see ahead Mm -hmm. and it changed everything. No, it's so true. You can't, you can't micromanage all the thing. You have to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at. You know, you cannot be everything. And what I keep saying is like women who start companies and they are comfortable with branding and social media. So they start off with that, but then, and it's great in your situation, but you also had a background in like building brands with an investor who had the product, but unless you have the paperwork, the legal and the financial done, you have no foundation on which to build, you know, and it might not be the sexiest part, but it's the most important part. And it is the part when investors come, they're going to look into, that's all they care about. Yeah. Do you have a trademark? Do you have articles of incorporation? Are you legit? (laughs) How did you incorporate? What, who, you know, are, do you have audited financials? Are you like, you you file your taxes (laughs) money in the bank? How's, you know, all of those things. Like I do paperwork when it comes to all of these vendor agreements and, you know, these things are the things that matter. These are the structure things that will, you're, it will fall apart you know, it's like a house of cards otherwise, you know? Yes. Um, I mean, one thing I think that uh, in retrospect that I did that was smart was I tracked every single dollar in QuickBooks into it from day one. Like a coffee at Starbucks as a meeting, like everything was tracked and accounted for. So every Friday I would grab a coffee and I would sit in front of QuickBooks into it because I didn't have an accountant, even though I was like funded, I wanted to be scrappy and I wanted to understand it. And so I would do the books. And when you know your financials, like you feel you're badass. Yeah. But then I think the key is knowing that you got to pass that off because that's not the best use of your time. Knowing just enough about all of the different things so you can make decisions. Because back to your second one, negotiating as a lawyer by trade and a very skilled negotiator, my top three tips for negotiating are hire somebody to negotiate for you. Yeah. Always don't negotiate your own salary. Do not negotiate anything like that. You do not know how to do. It's no different than I was talking to a doctor as a client of mine. I said, it's no different than like, if I went to a doctor and go, okay, tell me the top three things I need to do to give myself a boob job. Right. Never do that. (laughs) You would never go to give me the top three tips to litigate for myself. 
there are skilled negotiators. There are people who negotiate. And so, yeah, and sometimes you don't have the ability to have somebody else negotiate for you when you're talking to investors, et cetera. But you can have talk to somebody that can see or know to Bergerac your emails, which I do all the time. I'm like, hmm, Jennifer, I need you to negotiate for me. Yeah, what I do. <laughs> I'm so bad at it. You know, yeah. I, I call my lawyer, like literally texted him last night. I was like, thinking about something. I need your help. Can we talk tomorrow? And he's like, yes, of course. Yeah, so that's what we do, though. Legal. That's what, yeah. you know, we help people figure out the right wording and the pace and the, and the cadence and like what you should say, what you should give up, what you shouldn't give up because it's like yeah. a chess game, right? Like I know how to get the, grab the king. I've done it a million times, Yeah, you know? So you have to like, you have to give those experiences to the people who know how to do it, totally. you know? Totally. Yeah. So those are all great tips. Thank you so much for all of that. And um, I know that we can't keep you forever because now you're running two different companies plus, you know, two small <laughs> kids. Um, but there's one piece of it, one question I ask every single person that's on here. And what that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, the worst advice I've ever received. This is a good one. Oh, um, to raise more money. There you go. I love that. No, it's true. I actually said that this morning to somebody. I was like, I feel like one of the things that women saw a woman in VC is that women don't ask for enough. They're like, I only need 500. I can get by. And it was like, then raise 1.5. Exactly. Why? Exactly. Don't get by with what you think you need being scrappy. Like have a big vision, like raise that money. Exactly. So I I literally just said this uh, with my team on a topic we're writing about, which is you know, as women, we take what we need versus what we will need. Like, don't ask for what you need now. Ask for what you're going to need for that billion-dollar company, that million-dollar company, whatever yeah. it is that you see the future being. Right. Well, take that minute, though, and tell us about, like, the podcast and everything that you're doing in that so people can understand where to follow you on. Yeah. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the underscore Michelle Grant, and I'll be launching a podcast called Web3 with MCG. And stay tuned for some new brands and communities to be coming your way soon in the wellness and other female category spaces. So when is the podcast launching? That will be launching in November. Amazing. Yes. That's awesome. Why the Web3 space? Well, you know what? I think that is going to be the future of where brands are built and shared and marketed. And it also it's where women need to get informed and comfortable because it's going to be the next genre of entrepreneurs, millionaires, and billionaires. I love it. Can't wait to be there. <laughs> You're there. Thank you so much for everything. Everyone listening, thank you for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.